Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. You got to believe that the best is yet to come. I heard someone say one time, if you continue to get your information or continue to choose to be informed by the media or social media or what's happening around you, then your distress is self-inflicted. Your distress is self-inflicted. Where are you going to as a source of information? Where are you going? What is feeding you? What is telling you uh, the trajectory of your life? What is telling you the trajectory of the church? What is telling you, what is informing you on what is possible? Come on, we, we all have sources of information. We all have things that we lean on and rely on to inform us or tell us or reveal to us our new expectations. And I just choose to be uh, informed by the word over the world. I just choose to be informed by faith rather than fear. Amen? I just choose to be informed by peace rather than anxiety. I choose to be informed by joy rather than fear and, and anxiety and anguish about what's to come. You know that people believe that, that, the, that the worst is yet to come. They might not tell you that, but they believe it, and they live that way, and they're not content with just believing it for themselves. They have to get you to believe it with them, and they'll tell you how horrible things are, and, and they'll remind you of everything that's broken around us, right? Because they, they, they need fellowship. They need community. They, they need someone to, you know, the church is always, I hear people say, I'm just looking for community. No, you need to learn to stand all by yourself. You need to learn to believe it if you're the only one believing it. You need to be one that will stand and be set apart, not, uh, you know, included in. I don't want to be included in anything that the world has. I don't want anything the world has because I've got the answers they're looking for. And sometimes I'm working so hard to be a part of them that I don't have the answers to be set apart from them. And I want to be set apart. Set apart. Last week, we, um, I ministered a word that uh, I, I felt like was, you know, just the message that the Lord had given me, um, but it's kind of turned my heart towards something, and so, you know, I, as of right now, I know I've got two more messages today and next week, and we'll just see how it, it plays out, but I ministered last week a message entitled An Open Invitation. An Open Invitation. And what it turned into was kind of this contrasting between the religious and the kingdom. This contrasting between the religious working so hard to invite Jesus into their lives that they miss the fact that Jesus is inviting us into his life. And I know it's a statement that, you know, 
is widely accepted in church and widely accepted in religious communities. Have you accepted Jesus into your heart? Have you invited Jesus into your life? And I understand the premise. I understand the thought that I need to make Jesus a part of my life. But maybe Jesus is actually inviting us to be a part of his. And the difference is, am I just inviting Jesus into what my idea of him is? Or is he calling me to rise up to who he really is? Because I don't believe that Jesus ever becomes what you want him, need him, or think him to be. I believe that we either accept him as he is or we don't. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is a king. That is a fact that cannot be changed and is not substantiated by whether or not you accept that to be truth. He is that. The question is, is he that to you? Is he that in me? Do I receive him as he is? Because this is the problem is, is, is when I uh, create and follow a Jesus that I want to follow, then I may be misinterpreting or missing the whole point of who he really is to begin with. We looked at the story of a Pharisee that invited Jesus into his home, invited Jesus to have dinner with him. Invited Jesus right into his own sanctuary, into his own life, if you will. And everything that that Pharisee was inviting Jesus into was to get Jesus to be impressed with his stuff. We know this, that the Pharisees weren't really interested in communing with Jesus. In learning about who he is and who he was and this gospel that he came to bring, they were more interested in putting on a persona and putting on a facade and masquerading as kingdom when they were really just religious. But in that same moment, in that same atmosphere, in that same story, we see a woman who was not invited. Or so we think. And she shows up, the Bible calls her a sinner most likely uh, implying that she was an immoral person, possibly most likely a prostitute. And she comes barging into the home and she begins to uh, weep at Jesus' feet and her her tears are washing his feet and and she's drying her feet with her hair and she brings this uh, expensive perfume. And she's not doing this out of performance like the Pharisee. She's not doing this, uh, she's not putting on her best image so that Jesus can accept her. She's come in raw and broken as she is so that she can be accepted into Jesus' life. And the difference is, is that religious people are just too preoccupied with impressing Jesus to ever become Jesus. The religious are too preoccupied with impressing Jesus to ever become like him. And if we live our lives out of religious practice and out of religious formality and out of a show to impress and to put on and and to masquerade as one thing but not really live up to that, we're, we're finding that this is actually a great warning to the church in these last days. This is a great, uh, uh, it's, it's both a warning and encouragement, if you will, that that is a life you do not want to live. That you recognize that there is a life that Jesus has for you. 
There is a life that Jesus wants to present to you. And if you're too busy trying to get him to accept yours, then you'll never become his. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, we, we see this warning and we see this encouragement from Pastor Paul to Pastor Timothy. 2 Timothy being most likely the last letter that Paul wrote before he's beheaded. He is passing on the torch and he's passing on the, the work. He's passing on the work of uh, overseeing the church, planting the church, leading and, and guiding the sheep, the sheepfold. In Acts chapter 20, you see Paul encouraging the elders at this same church in Ephesus that, that Timothy is pastoring. And he says, give heed to the flock. He's letting them know that your most important investment, the most important thing that I'm asking of you or requiring of you as the church uh, or as the leaders of the church is to lead them and guide them toward who he is, not your stuff. Give heed to the flock. And so he says here, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, in verse 1, But know this, that in the last days, how many of you believe we're in those last days? We are in those last days. He says, perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having to a, having a form of godliness but denying its power. Having a form of godliness but denying its power. Now, that's interesting to me because out of everything he just named, you think you'd be able to identify the ungodly from the godly. Out of everything that he just listed, we think we'd be able to pick out. And in fact, most of you are probably thinking he just contrasted the world with Christians, but he's not. This is not a contrast between the world, blatant sinners that don't accept God, and Christians, those who claim to follow God. No, this is a contrast between those who claim to follow God and those who follow God. Y'all better stay with me this morning. This is a contrast between those who are in religion and those who are in the kingdom. This is a contrast of religion versus kingdom. It's the same contrast we saw last week between the woman that came and worshipped Jesus at his feet and the Pharisee that was so preoccupied with impressing Jesus that he could never become like Jesus. It's the same contrast. This is not a contrast of blatant sinners and those who claim to be Christians. It's those that believe they're following Christ, but they're not. Because everything he just listed is taking place under the facade of looking like kingdom, but not. 
He just says it has a form of godliness. He says that means if you're if you don't notice, if you're not paying attention, if you don't quickly uh, 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 open your eyes to this, you'll get fooled by what looks like kingdom but is not kingdom. If you don't have the proper discernment, you're gonna miss. What I really came to, to deliver you from. Everything he mentions, unloving and unforgiving and slanderers and without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lover of God. All of that happens under the claim, I'm following Christ. All of that happens while looking like church. And he's letting us know that this is the danger that we have before us in these last days. He clearly makes that statement in the beginning. He, 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 he preemptively lets us know, I'm going to let you know what it's going to look like in the end. In the end, you're going to have people that claim one thing but live another. In the end, and, and, and he goes on to say this, in the last days, he says, perilous times will arise. Uh, uh, we see this in some other translations here that help us open our eyes. In the New Living, it says this, verse 1, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days, there will be very difficult times. In, um, nope, that's the only one I have. The New King James and the New Living. Um, I think it was the Christian Standard Bible in my study uh, that, that said hard times. We're in those times. There's nothing like a good problem to arise to separate the religious from the kingdom. Everybody looks the same and can act the same and talk the same when everyone's comfortable. But, but give me 2020. They say hindsight's 2020. It's in hindsight now. Give me a pandemic. Give me social injustice. Give me economic breakdown. Give me societal woes. Give me a good tragedy. And you'll quickly identify who the religious are and who the strong, war-minded Christians are. Now, the intent is not to identify shame and guilt trip the religious, but it is the byproduct. It's not our intention to pick out all the religious people and then call them names. Because I'll tell you what, if you address any problem without a redemptive solution, you are more religious than you think. I'll say that again for all the religious in the room. And I think we all have a little bit of religious in us, more than we think. But if you ever address a problem without a redemptive solution, you're more religious than you think. But that's next week's message. That's what we'll talk about next week.
You do not have the right as a believer to ever address a problem on the level of the problem. You will always address the problem on the level of heaven on earth. Period. And if you have lost sight of the redemptive power of God, you have accepted religion over kingdom. He says there will be very difficult times. You skip down to verse 5 in the New Living Translation. It says it this way. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that can make them godly. The Passion Translation reads verse 5 this way. They may pretend to have a respect for God, but in reality, they want nothing to do with God's power. It's not that they're ignorant of the power, it's that they have chosen not to operate in it. They're very aware of what the power of God can do. They're very aware that miracle signs and wonders have taken place and could take place. They're very aware that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is real for today. They're very aware that He has come to empower you and equip you. They're very aware of it. They just choose not to live in it. They've seen it on display. You know, the Pharisees and Sadducees of Jesus' day, they were uh, refuting Him, challenging Him, and even killing Him in the midst of miracle signs and wonders taking place right in front of them. The Amplified Classic reads it this way, verse 5. For although they hold a form of piety, true religion, they deny and reject and are strangers to the power of it. Their conduct belies the genuineness of their profession. That is interesting to me. It's interesting to me that you could literally have God on display and choose formality and practice. I do believe that the church has gotten to a place today that we have uh, decreased in power, but we have increased in program. Because we will always create a counterfeit to do what the power of God was supposed to do. We will manufacture what we cannot believe for. Come on. And because I haven't been able to strengthen my faith to get somewhere, I'll manufacture a new concept that I can easily uh, receive. See, this is the thing. Religion is man's attempt to get to God. Miles Monroe said it this way. Religion is man's attempt to get to God. But that wasn't God's plan. The kingdom is God's attempt to get to man. That's why it's called heaven on earth, not earth on heaven. And we have believed in a gospel that gets you to heaven rather than heaven getting to earth. And we have preached it. We have sold it. It's a New York Times bestseller. Y'all with me? It gets good, I promise. The religious feel absolved from all kingdom responsibility and fill that void with inferior activity. Say that again. The religious feel absolved from all kingdom responsibility and feel and, and fill that void with inferior activity. 
oh, the, the religious are the most active of the bunch. Oh, they're busy. They're just not effective. And Miles Moreau also said the greatest tragedy in life is to be busy yet ineffective. Just busyness. Oh, they go to church, yes. They check off their Bible reading plans and they attend all the prayer meetings and they have a form of godliness, but it's missing one very key element that the form doesn't provide. Form never provides power. Form cannot transform lives. You know, one thing that we get accused of, criticized of, whatever you want to call it, is that we do not accurately interpret the sovereignty of God. Not by you, of course. I, you, you would never say that about us. But I've, I've heard it said, either of our camp, our circles, or usually, you know, the, 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 the first argument someone wants to make uh, when we make a demand or declare a healing over a sick body. Are you going to tell God what to do? No, God is sovereign. You can't, you can't get God to do what you want him to do. He's sovereign. Oh, he's sovereign. I believe in God's sovereignty more than you do, actually. Because God is sovereign over one thing. His word. His word. His word trumps everything else. So I believe he's sovereign. You better believe he's sovereign. He's so sovereign that his word, when he speaks it, he cannot go back on it, for he is a God that he would never lie. So the second that he said, I create man in my image according to my likeness, and let them, the second he said, let them, the second he said those two words, let them, he just made himself sovereign to his own word, and he will refuse in every single instance, trial, tragedy, and the like, to step in without using mankind. He refuses to do it because I am not a man that I should lie. I'm not a God that I would go back on my word. I'm not a king that would speak something into law and then change it. He doesn't do it. No, I'm not telling God what to do. I'm reminding him of his word that has already declared what he will do and what you and I can do and what you and I should do in the event of any trial, problem, or tragedy. Why do we recognize the religious versus kingdom so much in trial situations, perilous times, tragedies, and the like? Is because one shows up with answers and the other shows up just merely identifying the problem. Anybody can show up and tell me what the problem is. You don't have to go to school for it. There's no skill involved. There's no training needed, right? Anybody can show. Nobody wants a problem finder. People want problem solvers. And God created you to be a problem solver. So in perilous times, when things get dark and things, uh, uh, you know, become more tragic and we've got more issues and challenges, all the ones that want to depart going to heaven, religious, all the ones that want to bring heaven, kingdom. And we're looking for kingdom people. God is looking for kingdom people. He's not looking for people that have programs. He's not looking for people that have formality. He's not looking for people that have practice. I'm not so saying those things are wrong. I'm saying those things are inferior without power. 
And we are good at creating activity to fill the void of power. Oh, we can do it all day long. And we can seem powerful. I'll show you here in the Word of God. We can look powerful. We use our own natural authority to manipulate others into thinking we're powerful when really we are more insecure than anybody else. All day long. The religious will not lay hands on the sick and see them recover. But they can give you plenty of scriptures why, sickness, why healing is not for today. The religious will not pray in the Spirit and partner with heaven and partner with the Holy Spirit in an unknown tongue, even though their understanding might be unfruitful. But they'll give you all the scriptures why that was for then and not for today. And if you actually speak in tongues, it's actually of the devil today. They will. They have scriptural basis to back up everything they say. That's why it's called a form of godliness. Oh, we need discernment in this last day more than ever before. I think I said this last week, but the reason why, you you know, I'll be honest with you. The devil wants religion more than he wants sinners. A sinner that's just an outright sinner doesn't pretend to be anything but what it is. But a religious person is one that pretends to be one thing but is not. And that is the true nature of the devil himself. For when he showed up in the garden in Genesis chapter 3, he came as an angel of light. He came as one advocating on the behalf of God. If you eat of this free, if you eat of the eat of this tree, won't you become more like God? Now, the Satan you and I have always pictured is one that tries to get us to run away from God. This one is actually trying to get him closer to God. Y'all see the difference? That was not showing up in a red jumpsuit with a pitchfork and horns. Saying God is bad, God is evil. No, he's saying, I've got some activity over here that will actually make you more like God. And see, that's, what, that's, that's where religious, that's where religion first showed up. Genesis chapter 3, we see the first religious activity. Man trying to do naturally what he already was spiritually. Religion didn't show up in 2020. It didn't show up in 2004. It didn't show up in the 1800s, 1700s, 1600s. It didn't show up in, 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 in Titus or Philemon or 1 Corinthians. Religion showed up in Genesis chapter 3. I got something for you that will make you more like God than obeying his word. Activity. Activity. Inferior activity. It couldn't be more like God. Adam and Eve couldn't be any more like God than they were created to be in Genesis chapter 1. Let man be created in our image and according to our likeness. But the devil is constantly manipulating believers and getting them into more programs, into more practices, and into more formality, trying to be something he's already created you to be. Trying to impress God with something when he can't be more impressed with you because he's impressed with Jesus who died on the cross and rose again. And now you bear his name and you bear his image. You are in Christ Jesus. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And you can't impress God because Jesus already did. You are the most impressive thing to God, as you are. Now live it. Become it. 
Share it. Believe it. Proclaim it. That's the kingdom of God. He tells us that in these last days, we'll see this increase of religious activity. He goes on to give this this word in, uh, you know, you just go back to the New King James. He goes on uh, that, that there is something very interesting about this religion that if we're not careful, we'll become susceptible to it. In verse five, he says, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. And then he gives this word. And from such people turn away. Now, I know that doesn't sound like the Jesus you know. I know that doesn't sound like the the Christian gospel that we know that we're actually supposed to stay away from. In the other translations, in the New Living, it says stay away from people like that. In the Passion Translation, stay away from people like these. In the Amplified Classic, avoid all such people. Turn away from them. Here's why. Here's why. Religion contaminates. Religion spreads. You might not like it, but Jesus is actually encouraging distancing. Spiritual distancing. We've heard a lot about social distancing in the last couple years. Well, you know what? God follows the same principles. Not out of fear. Out of warning. That what's on them can get on you. It will spread. It will contaminate. You'll believe their lies more than you believe my word. More than you believe my truth. Distance. Not just six feet. But lie, lies always come to contaminate truth. Religion always comes to contaminate The kingdom. Religion always comes to infiltrate. And it spreads like wildfire. He just says avoid. Not avoid the world. Avoid religious activity. Not avoid sinners. Because what the world has can't get on you. But religion can. He says, don't try to turn them. Don't try to show them the truth. What does that tell us about the religious? Now, I know you don't like it, but it's the word. I'm not making this up. It's in the Bible. What does that tell us about the religious? That if we go down a path and we get too far down the path of religion, we'll never accept the kingdom. That at that point, I have to turn your life and your heart over to God himself because you won't hear truth from me because you'll always back up. You'll always refute my truth with your lies that appear as truth. Because you're going to have a scripture that's going to refute my scripture. Who's right? The Holy Spirit knows. Somebody's right and somebody's wrong. Either he's not healing people today or he is. Either the Holy Spirit is not still empowering people today or he is. Either you can bring heaven to earth or this is all about earth getting to heaven. One's right and one's wrong. How do we know? Stay away, avoid. 
I, I, I can't make you see it. I, I, have, I have run myself blue in the face, uh, 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 you know, uh, just, just absolutely, how can I explain it? How can I show them? How can I get them to see it? I, I've had the conversations. I, I, I've tried. I've tried my hardest. And they were good people. They were Christian people. They loved God, but they believed that God put cancer on their grandmother to, 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 to show their faith and to show their trust and took them home to be with Jesus and the angels. And they loved God. They're not sinners running away. They've just chosen an inferior message that is, is, is not what God inclined and permitted for you and I. I've laid hands on the sick and they did not recover. I've prayed with people cried with people, weep with people over loved ones that were sick and on their deathbed, and they did not receive their healing. But it does not change what his word says. And I know you don't like it. I don't like it either. But it doesn't change the word. He said, lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. And it's not my job to ask the questions. It's not my job to figure it out and understand it. It's not my job to have an explanation for everything that I can't get to go right according to his word. I've just got to keep my heart in position. That's what the word says. If another sick person comes across my path, you better believe I'm not withholding prayer. And I'm not seeking the will of God. I know what the will of God is. And we are praying. And we're going to see this sickness die in the name of Jesus. I'm not going to live in fear and torment from every little virus that shows up in the earth. How do you get that way, Pastor Mark? You just believe the word. You just stand on the word. You just get a backbone about what the word says and quit letting other people try to manipulate what the word says. And you know what? If, if, if I'm wrong, then when I get to heaven, we'll find out. We'll all find out, won't we? But I can't deny what the word says. <laughs> and if you believe in me, these works that I do, you will do, and even greater works. You know, for the longest time, I'm just going to stretch your thinking, if that's okay. We're already there. I've already made you mad, so just stretch our thinking with us a little bit. You know, for the longest time, I, I used to say this, you know, when he said greater, you know, because we have that problem, greater. What's greater? What's greater than raising the dead? Oh, well, he meant greater in quantity, meaning that there'd be more Jesuses on the earth, more people doing the works of Jesus. And I'm not saying that's wrong. But what if there is greater than raising the dead? Maybe we just don't know greater until we see it. You know what I find interesting about religious people? They want to limit God, but they believe in, an, in a limitless devil. They believe the devil can do everything the word tells us the devil can do, but they don't believe that God can do everything that the word tells us God can do. Am I missing something? They'll tell you all day long what the devil's doing, and he's good at it, and he's successful at it. He's getting the job done. 
But apparently God doesn't have the same power that the devil does. Come on. Are we going to be religious? Are we going to be kingdom? Go with me to Acts chapter 4. The kingdom is the only antidote for religion. The kingdom is the only answer for religion. Y'all doing okay? He's got me stirred up. I was just trying to preach a good Mother's Day message last week, and he, I done messed up and got a series out of it. Hallelujah. I believe this is what people are looking for. I, you know, I just love the Word of God. I just do. Whether you believe me or not, I don't care. I, I, I just love the Word. I just love the Word the way that it is. It doesn't need my interpretation. It doesn't need me to mess it up. It doesn't need me to skew it with my experiences and, and, and my failed expectations. It doesn't need all that. It just needs to be believed. The simplest definition of faith I've ever heard or ever given someone, what is faith? It's just living like God's word is true. Acts chapter 4, verse 1. Let me give you some context. Acts chapter 2, power of the Holy Spirit comes upon the 120 in the upper room. 3,000 come into the kingdom off a messed up, confusing church service where everybody looked like they were drunk. You can accept that. Acts chapter 3, Peter and John are on their way to the temple to pray. And they heal somebody. Heal a lame man there at the gate called Beautiful. He gets up running and leaping and praising God, right? Goes into the church service with them. You think everybody would just be, man, look at this. Look at these miracles. But that's all it took was one little miracle to set everybody off. And so Acts chapter 4, verse 1, while Peter and John were speaking to the people, they were confronted by the priests, the captain of the temple guard, and some of the Sadducees. And verse 2 says, these leaders were very disturbed. Oh, gosh. Listen to this crowd again. Verse 1. Confronted by the priests, the captain of the temple guard, and some of the Sadducees. All religious people. All people with the form of godliness. Verse 2 says, these leaders were very disturbed. These leaders... Active faith will always offend inactive faith. Heal somebody and watch how many of the religious people come out of the droves. Like cockroaches. Hiding out in the dark and you heal somebody, a miracle takes place like flipping the light and and look, there they are. And you might be surprised at how close some of them were. You might be surprised by how well you knew some of them. I mean, I have unfollowed a lot of people in the last 24 months. I'm I'm talking, I'm I'm just telling you, 2 Timothy 3, just, just give me one good perilous time to show me who's religious and who's not. 
And again, the intent is not to judge them. The intent's not to criticize them. But, but he does say, separate. If you allow religious voices in your life, you know, in hopes that you can glean some kind of truth, you better be careful walking that fine line because it might not be, if you continue to hear lies, uh, don't be surprised when you're living one. When that continues to be the source of your information, don't be surprised when you're believing it more than you're believing the word of God. Well, how can I encourage you in these last days? Keep your circle small. There's nothing wrong with a small circle. In a world that preaches acceptance and allowance and, and celebrating and, 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 you know, we're all in this together uh, and, and this is all kingdom. Be careful ones that use kingdom but aren't living kingdom. Because they were in the temple. And they weren't just attending the services, they were leading the services. They were holding the services. And it says they were very disturbed because active faith will always offend. I'll give you another word, intimidates inactive faith. You want to see religious people intimidated? Hold a healing service. Come on now. Very disturbed, it says. And Peter and John, that Peter and John, were teaching the people that through Jesus, there is a resurrection of the dead. It's just something simple as healing a lame man. Why aren't we celebrating that? Why aren't we rejoicing and worshiping? Because religious people don't see a miracle. They see a problem. They see truth being revealed. and They don't like it. So look what it says in verse 3. They arrested them. Because that's about the extent of a religious person's authority. And now they're utilizing natural authority to try to suppress spiritual authority. Who was it that killed Jesus? It's the religious people. Sure, it might have been Roman soldiers literally executing him, but it was at the hands, at the behest of the religious leaders. They said, we can't have none of this. We can't have people healing whoever they want. We can't have someone preaching that a kingdom is coming to earth. It doesn't fit our bill of a Messiah. And yet, believing that there was a coming Messiah. And he's standing right in front of them. That's how deceptive religion is. It'll keep you looking for the very thing that's right in front of you, and you're calling it something else. You consistently look through the lens of deception, you will be deceived. They arrested them, and since it was already evening, put them in jail and Many of the people who heard their message believed it. Whoops. So the number of men who believed now totaled 5,000. It identifies men because they only consens- took a consensus or a census of 5,000. So 
uh, of the men, there's women and children not even counted here that come into the kingdom off of one miracle. What does that tell me? I don't care what religious people think. I'm going to keep laying hands on the sick. I'm going to keep praying for people to come into the kingdom. I'm going to keep seeing his power uh, uh, purposed on earth. I'm going to keep praying that his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I'm going to keep praying that heaven come down here. I'm going to keep at it because the souls that are won are far greater and far more worth it than the religious that oppose. The next day, the council and all the rulers and elders and teachers of the law uh, met in Jerusalem. I mean, we got the highest people you can get. Because that's what religion will do. Religion will always appeal to natural authority where it's in in a void of spiritual authority. Religion will always use uh, its, 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 uh, um, its power. I mean, these religious people are not people that are powerless. These people, that, that, you know, naturally speaking, they've got authority. They, they, they've got influence. They can be easily followed. I mean, they, they had the capacity to influence the Roman, the Roman government that was overseeing them to kill a man that was a maniac. At best, he's a maniac. He posed no threat. Jesus posed no threat. At the, at, at, at the worst, this guy is, is just a crazy person out telling people that he's a king and, 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 and healing people and doing all these signs and wonders of the devil. And they got the Romans. The Romans don't care about any of that. But yet they use their power and their influence to kill Jesus. It's what religion will do. It'll always appeal to its ability, natural ability. To do and perform what they are, uh, they, they have a void of spiritual authority. Verse 6, Annas, the high priest was there, along with Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and other relatives of the high priest. I mean, look who they're pulling out to refute that Jesus has risen from the dead. And they brought in the two disciples, Peter and John, and demanded, here it is, the question The question that they're all asking, by what power? Oh, they see power on display. Religious people love power. Religious people love influence. Religious people love authority. And so they want to know, by what authority, by what power are you doing these miracles? Or in whose name have you done this? And then look at verse 8. Then Peter, here it is, filled with the Holy Spirit. He says, you know what? I know why you're so interested in power because you are powerful people who love power. But I've got the power you can't get. I've got the power from on high. I've got the power in the name of Jesus. I got the power because I went and waited in that upper room and the Holy Spirit fell upon us. And Jesus said in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, when you receive the Holy Spirit, you will receive power. Power to be witnesses. Jesus never designed for the gospel to be communicated through powerless people. Never. It is a prerequisite to be a witness. So you might say, well, you know, I, I, I've, I've won people to the lost. I, I mean, you don't need power for that. I've given homeless people a sandwich. You, you don't need power for that. No, you need power to lay hands on the sick and see them recover. Not just be a good person. 
Don't accept the form of godliness and deny the power. Verse 9, he says, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Like, you really challenging us because somebody sick was healed? But that's what religion will do. Religion will deceive and manipulate so badly that you'll call good bad and bad good. Oh, you thought that was the world calling good bad and bad good. No, religious people call good bad and bad good. People in church advocate for abortion. People in church, people in church advocate no prayer in schools. You don't believe me. The religious, the religious, you find yourself on the wrong side of the line very quickly. Or at the very least, supporting individuals that run those programs. Oh, come on now. Y'all better listen to me. In 2022, do not believe that it's Christians on one side and the world on another. No, 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 no. They go to church and they sing songs and they lift their hands and they take notes and they give tithes. And they support agendas that go directly against the word of God. Yes, they do. Because that's what religion will do. Religion will call good, bad, and bad good. Are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed? Verse 10, let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ. And you know, right there in that moment, I mean, I, I drew a line in, in, my, in my Bible. I drew a line after Jesus Christ because I can only, I wish I could be there to see their faces. Oh, they didn't want to, they, they, not, 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 not the one we killed. Not, not the one we crucified. Not, we, we just went through all this mess. Uh, we can't just keep appealing to the, to, to the Romans to just kill every person that we think is, is rising up against our religious program. We, we, we can't keep doing this. We can't keep operating this way. I wish I could have seen their faces when they said, in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, the man they crucified. And he actually says it in the very next, Jesus Christ, the Nazarene. Here it is. The man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. And you don't even know what just happened. You weren't there. And you don't know what just happened when they said, the man you crucified has raised from the dead. Because that's what this whole Christian thing was built on. Did he really come back to life? 
And when they boldly, in front of council members, in front of authority figures, in front of leadership, stood up and called out religion for what it was and said, we perform this miracle in the name, the powerful name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene. That's where he came from. That you crucified, you crucified, you crucified, but he has raised from the dead. They just lost it. Religion cannot tolerate truth. Yeah. You know, at the end of this passage, they say, they threaten them. They get off on this one. You know Peter and John didn't get off. They said, Do not preach in that name. You know what Peter said? He said, we can't help but. Go look it up. Do we have a we can't help but gospel? I mean, do you believe the kingdom so much that you can't help but share it? I mean, against all odds. That's what the kingdom will give you. Religion won't give you that. Do you have a, I can't help but be in church? I can't help but have a daily discipline with my father? I can't help but daily commune with the Holy Spirit by praying in the, in the Spirit. I can't help but do it. And the more you push back on me, the more I want to do it. That's like a Daniel spirit. You tell me I can't pray, I'll open up the windows and you can watch me. Maybe this isn't a Sunday morning message. (laughs) Ended up right here, Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. Y'all doing all right? Y'all should have never let me preach that word last week. Y'all should have said, Pastor Mark, just preach something on Mother's Day, something easy. Should have had my wife do it. Don't get her started either. She's just as tenacious as I am. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. Went where? Where did Saul go? (laughs) Yeah, you always got to appeal to the highest. Now, this is Saul, not Paul. This is before conversion. You remember what did Saul say about his Pharisee life? I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. I was the religious of the religious. And he asked letters from him. He went to get permission and authority to kill Christians. 
to the synagogues of Damascus. So that if he found any who were of the way, followers of Jesus, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Sounds like a mandate to me. I don't know, maybe I'm just messed up after the last 24 months of hearing that word over and over and over. Sounds like a mandate to me. Anytime the world allows you as a believer to do something, don't fall for that. Because there's something they're disallowing. Yeah. It's a trap. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Jesus is taking this personal. And then in the next phrase, he asked a question and answered it in the same sentence. Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. That statement isn't in most of the translations. It's in the New King James. The goad was an instrument used to poke and prod cattle and animals used for farming. And he says, you're kicking against, you're pushing back. Because see, this is, this is the thing about religious. Is they will oppose the thing that they actually think they're promoting. I mean, what a level of deception that is. To think you're advocating for one by fighting against it. This tells us that this most likely was not Saul's first run-in with the fact that maybe what I'm doing isn't right. He said, I've been poking and prodding you. Worship team, if you come. I've got a word. I heard this word a couple weeks ago. And it came to my remembrance this morning as I was studying this. It's kind of twofold. I believe God is a God of mercy and grace. I do believe that. I believe God is giving people time. I believe God is working on people's hearts in this day and age. I really do. actually made me somewhat emotional this morning just thinking about it. I think some of the most radical religious people are some of the people God's going after the most. I know people in my life that They may struggle with what we preach, may struggle with 
what we align with, what we believe the word says, may not fully accept it. I don't judge them. I don't criticize them. I don't debate them. I don't. But I do pray for them. Could they have a Saul encounter? Could they have a Saul encounter? A Pharisee of Pharisees. I think Jesus went to the top. He said, give give me the most zealous, radical Pharisee. Give me the man with the greatest influence. Give me the one so passionate to fight for my kingdom that he'll kill people. I say everything I said today not so that we can pick out and point out and judge those of religious activity. You can separate from them and still pray for them. You can pray for them and support them and yet not give them a voice or influence in your life. It's possible. But if our heart turns that we want to see them done away with, we want to see them eradicated, or we just want to call them out for the sake of judgment and shaming, you've actually become like them. You're playing on their playing field. It won't work. What was God's response to religion? Save them. What was God's response to the Pharisee of Pharisees? Redeem him. That's what we'll get at next week. In this room right now, there's a plethora of understandings, plethora of where you come from, where you've been, what you believe, what you don't believe. I have people tell me all the time, we just love your church. You preach what I believe. So far. In St. Augustine, we have a saying, we want you to come back at least five times. Why? Because you can't experience us in one service. You can't get a full picture of who we are in, in, in one service. But I believe even with the rich young rulers, you want to follow Jesus. You want to be a part of his mission, but there's still one thing. I know in my life, even as a pastor, I've had things challenged within me. Challenge religion. Challenge an approach to scripture that doesn't align with scripture. Challenge an approach to Jesus that doesn't align with who he is. Nobody, nobody is above becoming susceptible to religion and its activity. It's always good to check our heart, look on the inside. I made a statement a while back 
Jerry Ann brought it to my attention the past couple weeks. God will offend your mind to reveal your heart. She said, I began coming to church asking to be offended. Might sound like a weird statement, but that's different than just coming to church to hear something that you already believe. Never really being challenged. Never really allowing the word of God to drill down deep into your spirit. It's just head knowledge. It's not heart. Can you stand with me? Reading that verse, verse 5, Acts chapter 9 in the Amplified, it reads this way. And Saul said, who are you, Lord? He said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is dangerous, and it will turn out badly for you to keep kicking against the goad, to offer vain and perilous resistance. To offer vain perilous resistance. I heard someone a few weeks ago prophesy over our nation, the United States of America, and I agree. I believe with it. We're in a season right now where God is pouring out His mercy and His grace, and He is giving the religious time to repent. I believe that. But later in this chapter, you find that there's a disciple of Jesus that almost misses his opportunity to minister to that Pharisee of Pharisees. Almost misses his moment to be the one that when they do turn, will your heart be so cold toward them that you can't receive them in? Will you only see them in the lens of the religious and the spiteful and the hateful? How is the church going to do? Oh, yeah, we, we've got our hearts softened to the world. We love seeing sinners come into the kingdom. We celebrate it. We, but what about religious people? Do you want to see religious people come into the kingdom? Because they're just as broken. Maybe even more. Because they don't yet know what they're pushing back on. And God lets them know. Jesus lets them know. This is a dangerous way to live. You don't want to go down this road. I'm stopping you, not just on the road to Damascus, but on the road to destruction. That what lies ahead for you will not be for your benefit if you continue to push back. But God gave them a moment. I want us to join together and I want us to pray for Saul encounters for the religious. And if that is not, if your heart's not in a position to do that, then you're the one we're praying for. I want a soft heart because there are people he loves. There are ministers he loves. 
There are people you used to go to church with that have wandered from the faith that he still loves and he is still advocating for. For God so loved the world, we think that only means the ones that are lost and dying in sin. No, there are religious people that think they're on the way to heaven, but they're on the way to Damascus. And they need a Saul encounter. And it's not going to come from you and I, but when he encounters them on the road, you and I are going to have to encounter them in the house. And are you going to encounter them with fear? Are you going to encounter them with judgment? Are you going to encounter them with a critical spirit? Oh, why is he here? Look at her raising her hands. Look at her on her knees. No, not this church. Not this church. We don't know what we know and live what we live to be haughty and prideful and above anybody else. Because he desires that all would come to repentance. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithbaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.